We have a special guest on Let Me Be Frank today. Brian Rood works with the Catholic University of America and with the USCCB as an expert on youth in the church. And he also happens to be a chef. So he's going to talk about the relationship between faith and food. This is going to be a fun one. So stay right here with us at 1350 AM on the radio or on the Veritas app on your phone. If you don't yet have the app, you can download it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. We're very grateful to Foundations of Faith for sponsoring Let Me Be Frank. It is that time of year again. Foundations in Faith is now accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school or a parish high school age youth group or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. Find out more on the Foundations in Faith website. Applications are now live on that website and will close November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you? Doing very well, Excellency. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Getting ready for fall, real fall, not just, I mean, cooler weather, colorful trees at my favorite time of year. Finally, I think it has come. So yeah. thank God for that. Hmm? Yes, I just realized, I think in the past week or so, that it's my favorite season. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and I'm actually really excited for today's show, Excellency, because mm-hmm. the topic uh, is so different from, um, I think, from what we've done so far. So I will quickly introduce an old friend of yours, Brian Rood. Mm-hmm. Brian Rood joins us from the Catholic University of America, where he is the Assistant Director of Summer Programs and Formation for the Lay Apostolate for the School of Theology and Religious Studies. He's also on the National Advisory Team for Young Adult Ministry to the USCCB. Before attending Catholic University himself, Brian received his associate's degree in culinary arts from Johnson and Wales University. And it was there during his sophomore year that he received the Sacrament of Confirmation. While studying abroad in 2018, Brian was able to attend parts of the Synod on Young People. And in 2019, Brian was invited by the USCCB to attend the Vatican's post-Synodal Forum on Christus Vivit as one of the representatives for the United States. And I have a note here that I should, or maybe I shouldn't mention that he's a big Mets fan. Well, that's why he's saved. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, Brian, I'm delighted that you're part of the show today. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a weekly listener, Bishop, so this is fun to be on the other uh, end of things. Okay, send your bills, your psychologist, <laughs> then we'll pay for them. Steve will pay for them. <laughs> All right, so now, my friend, I always ask this of our guests. Um, generally speaking, what was your faith journey? What has your first faith journey been to date? Like, how did, how did you get to this point with all that Steve has talked about, which are with your great leadership in the church. How did you get there? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm actually adopted. And so I was adopted um, from South Korea um, when I was six months old. And, uh, you know, pretty immediately after that, I, my parents had me baptized. Um, but after that, um, my faith formation stopped. I mean, we were um, maybe loosely um, Christ or Catholics, as my friend likes to say. We would maybe go to Mass Christmas and Easter for a few years. Um, and then I didn't really have an encounter with the church or with Christ again until I went to high school. Um, so I went to a Catholic high school, um, you know, really by God's grace um, in, in Maryland, where I'm from. Um, and uh, there experienced um, the Palatine Missionary Sisters and the charism of St. Vincent Pilati for the first time, um, which is going to come back in my story. Um, 
and was introduced to, to, to Christ and, and the reality of having a relationship and a friendship with him by some really great um, teachers and staff there, campus ministry staff. Um, but I knew for a really long time that I wanted to go to culinary school. It was my, my dream, my goal, my hope to go to culinary school and then go and work my tail off in kitchens, um, professional kitchens, and then one day have my own restaurant. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of joke that when most kids my age were watching, you know, Nickelodeon Cartoon Network in the morning, I was watching the Food Network. Um, I was watching <laughs> Bobby Flay and Emeril and, uh, and Tyler Florence um, before I would go to school. Um, but I, I really had my first kind of tangible, memorable encounter with Jesus on a Kairos retreat in high school, which I feel like a lot of, a lot of young people have that experience um, who go to Catholic schools. And so that the fire kind of started to burn there and kind of grew um, over my, my junior year and my senior year. And when I went off to Johnston and Wales um, in, in Providence, so, so not too far from you, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I knew it was something I wanted to continue. So I would actually, I would attend a local parish um, and, uh, you know, would, I would kind of do all the classic, uh, you know, Catholic youth things. I was watching Bishop Barron's, uh, you know, videos and, ho- and homilies. I was watching Father Mike Schmitz. I was reading. And, uh, you know, at Johnson Wales, we did an internship. Everyone had to do an internship their second year. So I went back home and did my internship at a restaurant um, in Old Ellicott City, um, which you might know from the terrible floods uh, from a few years ago. And it was, it was there that I, I w- went back to my high school and helped them with some of their retreats. And by the time I remember sitting in the car coming, I'd come back from senior retreat and I had to work that night. And I remember sitting in the car and I parked my car and there's a, a river that runs under Ellicott City. And I, I was watching it flow and I just, I, act, I started to cry. And, and at the moment, I didn't understand why. Um, the following Monday, I, um, I remember sitting, we did uh, eight covers that night. Uh, which eight people walked through the door, which is a really super slow night. So I was had a lot of time to be sitting and thinking. Um, my boss probably would have liked it if I was prepping and and you know chopping vegetables and things. Um, but I remember hearing this kind of a small voice saying, "I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to do," uh, which was the first time that thought had ever really hit me in a in a tangible way. And so I talked with my chaplain from high school. I talked with my um, one of my religion teachers who had a really really big impact on me. And they basically both said, you know, if you think you're supposed to change careers, um, you should take that to prayer. You, you should talk about it more with someone. Um, and if you want to come into the church fully, then you should do that up in Rhode Island because that's where I was going to be for the next, you know, eight months or so. And so I remember, uh, uh the second trimester, we had trimesters. I walked, uh, I went to the noon mass, um, at St. Paul's in Cranston off of broad street. And uh, waited outside afterwards for the pastor, who was a very uh, young priest named Father Young, of all things. And uh, he came out, and I was standing there in the snow, probably looking like a lost puppy. And I said, you know, Father, I, I, I want to um, receive um, my, my first Holy Communion and, and, and be confirmed. And he, he welcomed me with open arms. The community did. Um, and I went through RCIA. Uh, and in the midst of that process also determined that I wanted to share the faith with others in a way that the faith had been shared with me by those teachers and and by those campus ministers. And so decided that I wanted to go study theology somewhere. And so I knew I wanted to go back closer to home and looked at the Catholic universities in the area and uh, landed on Catholic university of America in Washington, DC. Um, and actually never visited. I, I, all my decisions were made off of a website, which I'm sure if our admissions people heard me say that now, um, they would be cursing me. I wouldn't recommend it to any high schoolers or anyone who's looking to transfer, but it worked out for me. It was it was uh, certainly God's providence. Um, and so I wrapped up my degree and went to Catholic U, and that's really where my faith kind of took off. Um, you know, we have a really strong um, student ministry program at Catholic, um, so about 23 students every year are um, they go through an application process and, are, and go through formation to be ministers on campus to their peers. I was able to do that my sophomore year, um, which kind of introduced me to, to real uh, active pastoral ministry for the first time. 
Um, I went through a certificate in pastoral ministry program that we have that some people that I, I know, you know, Bishop, um, mm-hmm. you know, teach in that program. Um, but it's also a place where, you know, I think one of the great beauties of Catholic U that I found that I still love is that you don't have to be the most Catholic person on your street to go there, that we have, we have students from every background. We have um, students who are, are, have deep intimate relationships with Jesus and those who are maybe going to give God and the church one more chance. And it's a place where we can all come together and, and, and learn to love Jesus together. Um, so it really, it's really only been, and I, I say this, I was talking to a friend a few days ago, you know, I, I think back and realize, man, I've only been confirmed into the church since 2016. And, uh, you know, amazing. you it's and amazing I met in Rome. <laughs> yes, that's right. But it's amazing what God has done through you, right? Yeah, well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and everything that's happened, first of all, that's a fascinating story. So thank you. I love hearing people's stories of faith. Right? Because you see the wonder and the grandeur and the graciousness of God operate, operating in each of our lives. So now he has chosen you to use your gifts and talents. So we're going to set aside food for later <laughs> because it's very dear to my heart and my stomach. But it's a, isn't it a great entree to evangelization and how food is a way to introduce people to the table, which is the celestial food, right? So God has given you all these gifts and training for that reason. But tell us about your duties now at CU, CUA. Like what is your, what, what would be your outreach, ministerial outreach to young people? Now? Yeah, sure. So I, 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 you know, I say to people, Steve read my title. I, I like to joke that I probably have the longest title on campus, right? The, <laughs> the assistant director for summer programs and formation for the lay apostolate. Um, and so really it comes down to two things. The first is the summer programs. And so right now the School of Theology has one summer institute, which we were blessed in 2020. Bishop Frank, you took part in it and you were such um, a great uh, a hit really with our, with our participants. Um, but so Light the World is um, a, a, a summer institute that welcomes high school age students to our campus to learn how how does their faith interact with kind of the rest of their lives? And so we look at that from um, a course of study, right? If you're going to go to college, how, and, but you want to be a lawyer or you want to be a business person or an astrophysicist, what does the faith have to do with that? How does your faith, how does what the church teaches play any sort of role in that? But we're also, especially in the last couple of years, since I've taken over the program and, and getting to work with Dr. Susan Timoney, who's um, one of our associate deans, is how can we talk more explicitly, but in an approachable way with our participants about the vocation of youth, the vocation to holiness. Um, and so that's uh, it's a way for us to both work with our high schoolers as well as um, we have undergraduate counselors who, who work um, for us and with us in the program. And so we go through a process of formation together um, as we're getting ready to welcome our students. And so, you know, I, I like to, I like to work with our students to give them a really, what we think is a solid theological foundation, right? So what does it mean mm-hmm. to a company? What does discernment mean? What is vocation? But then some really practical things, like how do you lead a small group? How do you mm-hmm. witness to your faith in a way that's effective? Um, and so it, it's a great way for us to work with our students, which really kind of helps to fulfill the other side of my job, which is the formation for the lay apostolate, um, you know, we we've we've worked to build off of both Saint John Paul II um, and his his document Pastorius Wobis, as well as um, as co-workers in the Vineyard, in building up a program that allows for our students to be formed outside of the classroom, which we think is so important, you know. Catholic University of America, the School of Theology and Religious Studies is the oldest school in uh, at the university. It's existed the entire time the university has existed. So since, you know, the 1887. And we like to say one thing that sets us apart, and I was a I was a beneficiary of this as a student, is the faculty that we have and the fact that we have over 40 full-time faculty members in the School of Theology and how that's that's rare. Um, in a lot of places. And so we know that our students are going to get amazing intellectual formation from, from these men and women who are experts in their field. I mean, just 
a couple of weeks ago, two of our, our faculty, Dr. Young and Dr. Hooter, were named to the International Theological Commission. Um, so, you know, we have great minds, but we also know that part of our mission as the Catholic University of America is to be forming young Catholics to go out and serve the church in the world. Mm-hmm. And so plenty of our students go off to seminary or enter religious life, but a lot of them are exactly, you know, what I was talking about with Light the World, right? They go off and they're lawyers or they're social workers, or they go into pastoral ministry. And so we want to provide them with, with opportunities for human formation, for spiritual formation. Um, we've added this kind of additional pillar that, that we call professional formation. Um, and so really trying to help prepare our students to be good missionary disciples, to be good evangelizers, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and to recognize what gifts and charisms they have, and to know that they don't have to, they don't have to compare themselves to their fellow students um, or the people they know back home, because God's asking them to use their gifts in a very specific way to build up the kingdom, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. want to help them to recognize that. Mm-hmm. Brian, do do the students that are under your care when they graduate? Do they keep in touch? Do you hear back from from some of these young people how they have made it, in, you know, in ministry out in the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, some of them certainly do. Um, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves at at Catholic U, and I've experienced this both as a student and now as a member of the staff, um, is community um, and mm-hmm. lifelong, um, quite honestly, lifelong relationships that are made. Um, at, at the university. And it's one thing too, you know, where um, our team has changed quite a bit just since I've come on, um, let alone in the past five years or so within the school of theology and religious studies. And so we're working on creating ways to, to, to do better at keeping in contact with our students. Right. Um, right. And, and because again, you know, we're wanting to tell them like, we don't just care about you for the four years that you're here with us or the six, if you come on, come to get a master's with us uh, after your undergrad, we care about you as, as people, as, as, you know, not just student IDs, but as the person and the story behind all of that. And so um, trying to build this network of support for our students and, and to help them to know they have a home with us Mm -hmm. um, and we're here to support them. You know what I find delightful? There are a number of young people I've met who went to Catholic University who found their future spouses at Catholic University. Right? Absolutely. Right? I mean, you see, you've it, seen that. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, let's see. I was just at a wedding last weekend. Uh, a friend of mine who was, uh, he was a student minister with me. We actually lived mm-hmm. together in the same in the same dorm room. And he just married the girl that he met freshman year. They've been dating ever since I, I've been to three or four CUA weddings. I've got uh, another three coming up next summer. At that's least. great. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. So now how do you see given COVID given everything that's happened, right? Um, how do you see young people at Catholic university dealing with that? And do you see any differences now than a couple of years ago before we went through the pandemic? You know, we've gone through quite an evolution at Catholic U. Um, you know, back last fall, we made the decision to to open our campus, but in a very specific way. So we we only allowed our first year students to come on campus, and then um, our student ministers and our RAs and and some select other student leaders. Then in the spring, we opened the campus to single occupancy, but allowed upperclassmen to come back to campus. We started offering more classes in person. And then this fall, we, you know, uh, opened wide the gates and our, our <laughs> residence halls are full. Um, our students are, are living off campus. They're, I would say probably 90 to 95% of our classes are in person. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, man, it was depressing last year. Uh, as someone that, that knew the campus as a student, knew what it looked to be full and to be vibrant, when you see, you know, 500 kids walking around and the sidewalks that are normally packed after, you know, after um, the midday classes and the rush to lunch in our, in our student, um, our student union, and you see just a person or two trickling down. One thing I learned about our students last year specifically is their, their resilience um, and their commitment to one another. You know, uh, when we came back from Christmas break, we 
you know, things were still pretty rough when it came to COVID in mm-hmm. our country. We hadn't yet kind of begun to hit that next, um, you know, downward trend. And, you know, in, in the middle of January, I mean, we're not in New England, certainly, but, you know, it gets pretty cold in the mid-Atlantic in, in January. Mm-hmm. And on any given day, there were hundreds of kids sitting outside eating lunch together because they couldn't do it inside. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't allowed oh, based on our regulations, oh, sure. oh, but yeah, they, they were so craving community. They were mm-hmm. so craving personal interaction mm-hmm. um, and, and, and physical contact and, and communion with one another that they were willing to sit outside in 38 degree weather, you know, with their heavy winter coats on eating their food. Um, and I think that's, I, th- I think that's really what, what marked, our student body and our, our whole community throughout COVID, right, was this mm-hmm. um, this perseverance and this willingness um, to to go outside of what is normal so that we could maintain community and communion right. with one another. Right. See, that's that's a fascinating story. The fact that they had to make that sacrifice to have community is itself a spiritual exercise, right? So I wonder to myself, and maybe you have seen signs of this, that. Um, are the young people now, generally speaking, more disposed to the questions of faith precisely because this was this period of suffering and loss? And, and I mean, it was not just for themselves personally, but for people they may have known, people they lost. I mean, has that period of suffering and dislocation made them more open to the spiritual life, you think? Equally open, for some perhaps less open, any sense of that? You know, I, I think um, when I look at our student body, um, you know, I think you can appreciate this answer. I think it really depends on on the individual. And I think that's right. probably obvious. Um, right. You know, uh, I think um, I think many of, of the young people that I get to interact with probably um, had the same experience with with community that the rest of us did, right? Especially during early COVID when we were restricted to, to watching mass on our TVs or on our computers. And, and I think in some, it, it likely bred kind of the same, um, I don't want to sound harsh, but, but in some senses, complacency, right? Of, 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 of being able to sit at home and, you know, turn it on YouTube and drink your coffee and sit in your slippers and, 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 and watch mass. Um, <laughs> Or drink but your margarita I, and watch me. Keep going, <laughs> right? You know, but I, I, I think um, that because mostly because of the the isolation and the loneliness that was felt amongst young people. I mean, I, we talked a lot about that amongst um, uh, amongst the elderly uh, in the pandemic, um, and I think over the last few months we've begun to turn a bit more attention to, to that loneliness and isolation that young people have felt. Um, I think they're more, they're more willing to go out and try to find something um, that's, that's tangible, that's physical, that's, that's embodied. Um, You know, I, I, from what I've experienced on campus, our masses are still pretty, pretty darn full. Um, You know, our, um, our adorations are full. I think we've actually added an adoration this year. Um, on campus. Um, and so I, I really, I do think it, it really depends. Um, it, it depends on, on the student, but I, I, I want to say, I think they're more open to at least having those conversations. Right. Than before. See, it's interesting. There are, you know, as I reflect in the diocese, we've talked about this on other podcasts that the, you know, we've had a number of people return back to mass and there are some who are reluctant to come back to mass for safety reasons, health reasons. And there are some that have fallen out of the habit of coming to mass. And those are the ones I think the uh, our newly formed ambassadors need to go visit, sit and have a heart to heart conversation, right? Because it's, you, you mentioned complacency. If I, when I think of young people, I have two prayers coming out of COVID. And I want you to react to either or both or none, whichever you wish. Um, the first is, there. I find young people to have really good hearts, generally speaking, right? They want to do good. I'm praying that they'll have empathetic hearts, that their empathy will grow, precisely because you're young, you're invincible, your life is exciting. You go, 
but now suddenly you hit suffering and loneliness and now the older person who's locked up in their apartment their experience and yours is not that dissimilar anymore right and i think empathy is extraordinarily important for the lay apostolate in the world right in a sense you give but you're also receiving when you give right because we're all in need right which is for and the other is the limits of technology because see you're young and those who are young have had a different experience than I had, because you've heard me say often, technology is a tool for me. But but young people have grown up with technology as kind of being the fabric of their life. So now, when you watch mass on on you know whatever YouTube, whatever it is, it it should provoke a question, right? But is that enough for me? And technology has to be has to find its proper place. And I'm wondering, COVID may be raising that question that young people could help us to answer. Because actually young people are probably better adept at answering it than us older folk who would do it. Does that make sense? No, it, it absolutely does. And, and you know, um, we just did uh, a couple of nights ago, we just did an event on digital media communication and evangelization for our students who are interested in it. And we welcomed a couple of professionals and, and we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, Pope Francis even touches on this in Christus Vivid. He talks about both the challenges and the blessings of the digital environment. Um, and certainly, you know, he touches on on really serious things like like pornography and the dark web and and things like that. But but he also touches on on kind of things that I think when if young people reflect on them are a bit closer to home, um, like the tendency to get caught in an echo chamber. Um, of just hearing the same opinions that we share and having those bounce back at us. Um, but we also talked about the limitations of technology, right, in relation to 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 the the mass and, and things like that. And and I think you're I think you're right, Bishop. That you know, again, as 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 a church of accompaniment, as a church that listens, you know, one of the the key things we need to listen to young people on is what is the role of technology in your life and where is that positive and where is that negative? And it, kind of to your, your first point, right? How does technology help you to be a more empathetic person? And in some ways, I think technology desensitizes us, right? I, I was saying this to students yesterday, right? Instagram, as an example, creates this culture of only seeing the best and biggest moments in people's lives, which can lead us astray and make us think that well, those people don't have tough moments. They don't have little moments mm -hmm. like I do. Um, and so I think we have to have that conversation of, you know, not only do we have to know where young people are in the digital realm, but then understand how it's affecting their lives and how it's leading them to or away from God um, and, and have that conversation, um, not just about the things we recognize best, like Facebook and Instagram right. and Twitter, but all of the all of the places in the digital realm. Right, right. Exactly. And I think young people could be the great protagonists in that conversation because it affects them deeply. And in an environment like Catholic University, you give them the forum where they can raise the questions and have mentors to guide them to answers that really could change their lives now, right? And lead the rest of us in the right direction. Now that we have both this, I call it the two-edged sword, right? Which is what technology is. COVID one of the results, that may be one of the blessings that comes out of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great. When we come back from our break, I know we have to have a break soon. We have to talk about food. <laughs> I will good. be all ears, all ears. Okay. <laughs> yep. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency today is speaking with Brian Rood, whose official title is Kind of a mouthful but suffice it to say he's with catholic university of america and he's an expert on young people in the church and we will be right back on the other side of the break if you're concerned about your end of life plans searching for a catholic cemetery or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 catholic cemeteries throughout fairfield county now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message. 
or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency Bishop Frank Caggiano is talking with Brian Rude. They were talking about young people in the church, which is Brian's current job. Um, But he's also a trained chef. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about food. Yeah, absolutely. After faith and family, it's it's my favorite topic. (laughs) So now I have to tell you, I grew up in a house where mom didn't have recipes. You know, she did everything kind of like instinctively. So what is culinary school like? What, is, what Like, what is your typical day in a culinary school? <laughs> so, you know, I, I went to Johnson & Wales in, in Providence, Rhode Island, which is is um, the Johnson & Wales family are kind of one of the premier culinary schools in the country. It's kind of them and, and CIA in New York that are really the two big ones. Um, but one of the things I loved about Johnson & Wales is that you got kind of a normal college experience along with your culinary education. So we went by trimesters back then they've changed it since um but you know uh one or two trimesters a year we would be in culinary labs um we called them and so it was a nine day segment we would take five five uh individual labs per trimester and so for nine days from either i gotta try to remember the times now it's been a long time from either uh from seven to one or one forty-five to seven forty-five, you would be in the lab um, all day, pretty doing much. Doing what? Doing what? So eating. we would. Uh, yeah, well, there was a lot of eating. <laughs> we would. We would have uh, each. Each class has a chef instructor. Uh, you know who is who is a professional in the industry. Um, and and many of them are certified executive chefs, certified uh, master chefs. Um, all of specialties within their own areas. And so they would, they would lecture kind of like any normal college. Um, and so we would learn about, you know, the history of a region or, you know, the specifics of, of this or that. Um, and then we would, we would do hands-on for probably four hours of the class um, making food. We would each get assigned a recipe. Um, you would make the food. Um, your chef would review it. You'd, you'd get a grade for the day. And then the, the best part was, you would sit down then for for meal. You would take all of the food that you made. We would spread it out on the tables. We would all pull up chairs and we would share a meal together. And then the worst part of the day, which was then going and cleaning up the kitchen and all yeah, the messes that we'd made. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But you see, my, I, that's fascinating to me. That's just absolutely fascinating, particularly the the hands-on and the sharing of the food at the end. So you built friendships with these individuals, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, Culinary school is it, it was certainly different than than maybe Catholic U because you know when I got to Catholic U I was um, twenty I think um, and when my when my uh, fellow students in in the freshman year for the school of theology found out they were floored they were like you're twenty what are you kidding me and but at culinary school I mean you know I was in labs with people who were right out of high school like me. Um, or people who had worked in kitchens for maybe four or five years afterwards. So they were 24, 25, 26, or people that this was a second career for them. Right. So there were people that were, you know, married, had kids, had grown kids who, you know, were accountants or whatever mechanics and decided, Hey, I want to go to culinary school. I want to learn how to, how to cook and, and kind of rejuvenate uh, 
you know, this, the professional side of my life. And so that was, it was then eating, sharing a meal together after the end of a, of a tough day um, really allowed us to, to relate and to get to know one mm-hmm. another. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, even, you know, I, I had those conversations about faith in, in the kitchen. I, mm-hmm. I remember having quite a few of them with friends because, you know, we were in, we were in Rhode Island and a lot of the kids were local to, to Massachusetts or Rhode Island, which are two, um, you know, historically very Catholic states. And so a lot of them were, were raised in the church. And so, you know, we would have conversations, you know, I remember one of my classmates, he was going to be his brother's, um, uh, confirmation sponsor. And he asked me if, if he needed to go to confession first before the mass, cause he hadn't been to mass in a long time. And, you know, he wanted to be able to receive the Eucharist in front of, in front of his brother, right on this big day. Um, and that happened, you know, as we're sitting there, you know, cutting potatoes or whatever we were doing. Um, and so it was, a, it was the meals, um, brought us together, which then allowed us to have those moments of, of communion and of, of evangelization mm-hmm. while we're doing the nitty gritty. Is that, you see, and that explains why in Jesus's ministry, so much occurred at meals, not just the sacred meal, the last supper, but so many other meals, right? And how he was very much open to being invited to the, to the homes of the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and his followers. You know, I was reflecting in preparation for our conversation, even at the height of COVID, when we were all kind of bundled up and masked and all this stuff, you got to take your mask off to eat. And if you're eating with someone else, it's almost like you take off the veneer when you share food, right? And, and you could see the power of grace. Okay, a few other things. I'm just very curious. So what do you enjoy? What is your favorite kind of line of, of food? What's your cuisine? What's your like, I have this down pat. What do you like? <laughs> well, you know, one of the best things about, about the way they taught at Johnson Wales is that they wanted you to build a foundation of technique first. Oh. So you would learn how to, how to bake, roast, shallow fry, deep fry, broil, steam, saute, all of these things so that your, your sophomore year, your second year, you would then learn more of the cuisine based approach. Um, so my, my favorite cuisine, I don't know if I have one to cook. I just love to cook. I love to make food. I love to make people happy with food. Um, my favorite to eat is probably, and this is probably why I have high blood pressure. It would be French food. Um, oh, really? The, the, the butter, the cream. So the last class I took there was my classical French class. Um, and I took it with a chef who had taught me my freshman year. And we got along really, really well. He was kind of the opposite of what you would expect from a professional chef. I think a lot of people expect Gordon Ramsay, right, where we're getting like plates thrown at us and we're getting sworn at all the time. Chef Kelly was the exact opposite and is the exact opposite. He was kind of a, a kill him with kindness type person. And, uh, I, I want uh, this, this story will stick with me forever. You know, we, uh, I had told him that I was going to transfer. I was, I told him I was going to go to Catholic U. I was going to study theology and, uh, he handed me back my final paper and I still have it at home. And he said, um, good luck on your journey. Um, I wish you all the best, uh, put in a good word for me with the big guy upstairs. Congratulations. <laughs> right. And, and so, um, he, he left a lasting impact on me. Um, but so did his class. And uh, I think French food with all the butter and the cream. Oh my um, gosh. You're making me and, hungry. <laughs> and the history too, right? I, so many of the great chefs, um, so much of the um, the food culture that that eventually wound up coming over to America outside of the immigrant experience, right? Which is a whole different culinary experience that we could talk about for hours. Um, but like the professional culinary environment kind of came out of France. And so um, it, it's had such a lasting impact on the culinary industry. Um, and like I always say, but when you cook with butter and cream, how can it be bad? See, what a wise man you are. But now, so now, so we're going to transition to faith, but one last question. So Steve and I are coming to your house for dinner. What are you going to cook for us? What's this meal going to look like? Steve's already um, salivating. I can see it on the screen. <laughs> there's a, so there's, um, there's a special, there's, well, I mean, it, it, I would ask you what you would want, um, but if you were going to totally leave it up to me, there's a, oh, a one special, one special meal 
um, that I that I have made a few times that I really love. Um, and so it's uh, Beef Wellington, um, which I think is kind of like just the peak of culinary elegance. Um, Beef Wellington, um, which I, I make kind of off of Gordon Ramsay's um, recipe um, with uh, when I, when I was in, when I was a uh, junior at Catholic, I went and studied abroad in Rome, obviously, which is where Bishop Frank and I met, but I took a lot, I did a lot of travels while I was there. And one of my trips was to Paris. Um, and so me as a French food lover, I forced my friends that were there with me to go to a Michelin star restaurant. Um, I said, this is the one thing I want while we're here. I'll do, I'll go, I'll go to the Louvre. I'll do whatever you guys want to do, but please let's go. So we went to uh, L'Atelier by Joel Robuchon. Um, in Paris near the um, the Arc de Triomphe and had these mashed potatoes that were the star of the dish. And I found a video online of um, Chef Joel Robuchon showing you how to make these potatoes. And there's like, I mean, they're like 80% butter, 10% milk and 10% potatoes, you know, um, but they're fantastic. So the beef Wellington with the potatoes, um, the vegetable I could go anyway, but I, I do like... Um, glazed carrots uh, like glazed rainbow carrots they bring a little color to the plate um as well but i think that's like that's a meal that you know it's it's um it's hearty it's rich you kind of feel like you want to take a nap after you're done um but it but it it's impressive too it makes people want to talk and 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 you know that's the point ah so now that's it okay well first of all it sounds delicious we're going to end early we're coming (laughs) to your house tonight but besides that but but you see I think you've struck on the, the the bridge I want to create with you. And I want you to talk about faith in the context of food, because when you have a, a, a meal that's really prepared with affection and dedication and love, that's delicious. It opens up conversation. It opens up hearts. It begins what you said, like this conversation. So how do you use all the gifts God gave you for cooking in your ministry? How, how, how do you do that? Well, so, you know, um, I, I actually, uh, about a month and a half ago, I had my counselors from like the world this past summer, I had them over to my house and, and I made a big, um, Mexican feast. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we, we shared a meal together. Um, food in my opinion has a way of bringing people together that very few things can come close to. I think music is the only other thing that kind of comes close. Um, but in the end, we don't need music and we do need food. Um, and mm. so, you know, when I was in ministry, student ministry, one of the toughest parts that that our ministers struggle with is maintaining the balance of being with your friends and relaxing and 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 being so engaged with your ministry. And so I would say 90% of the time when I would see friends, it would be over a meal because we both, we all had to eat. But there's also, there's something deeper than that too, that I think, you know, you're getting at Bishop Frank, which is kind of the, kind of like with the mass, right? When you're around a meal together, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be Chick-fil-A. It can be, you know, the fanciest dinner. You kind of let your guard down and you're able to, to literally shed the mask, figuratively shed the mask. Um, and, and engage in kind of one of the most essential and most basic human actions of, of, of eating. And I think it, it reminds us of kind of the, 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 the base level of humanity that we all share. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to kind of push away all of the things that divide us and to remind us of, of the simplicity that, that exists um, the simplicity of food, the simplicity of, of relationship, the simplicity of, of relationship with Jesus. Um, and, and, and it gets people talking, right? I mean, when you can present someone with food that you've made, you know, they're impressed. And, and oftentimes it's, it's the really simple things that will impress them too. But sometimes it's just literally the way to put a foot in the door and right. to have people open themselves just a little bit to a conversation that you can take in the direction that you wish to take. And so you can talk for three hours about how to make, you know, the perfect, um, you know, braised beef, or you can start to go down that route, right. Of, of, of exactly what you were talking about of, of the, 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 
centrality of food within the life and, and mission and, and ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it opens, it opens people to that. Yeah, we see very much so. And, and I think it, 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 to my own way of looking at things, it's, it's really saddens me that families do not often take the time to eat together for all the reasons you just mentioned. You know, we're all busy. Got it. I understand that. But to be intentional about at least a few meals, if not one meal, Sunday meal together, for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think is something we as Catholics need to challenge our families to do again, because it's not just nourishing yourself physically, it's nourishing yourself socially, right, emotionally and spiritually. And the other thing is we've become, in some ways, we've adopted a lot of our secular brother and sisters uh, approach to gatherings like that, where we neglect offering grace. And it need not be, you know, the proclamation of the whole New Testament, right? But it's an acknowledgement that God's sitting at the table with you. Because then you can connect, right? And it's as simple as that. So, like, I'm very proud of my little great niece who she is the prayer, even though the bishop's there, thank God, she's there. She prays and leads us in prayer when we eat. You know, sometimes very quickly if she likes what's there, but she's praying. And, you know, and I think to, to your point, Brian, it's those simple things that we can remind people to do them can yield great spiritual fruit. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, uh, I think it was my freshman year I had, a meal with one of our faculty members. He's now retired, um, but he, he's a Franciscan. He's, he's a, an expert on, on Saints Francis and Claire. And I remember we sat down and we had been chatting a bit. And finally he stopped and he goes, oh, we should probably pray. And I guess in a very Franciscan way, you know, I was expecting, you know, some, some grand prayer right on there with a friar. And uh, we make the sign of the cross and he goes, thanks for the grub, Lord. And he makes the sign of the cross. <laughs> and, and in the moment I was kind of taken aback, but you know, it, it obviously had an impact because it's a story that I think about mm-hmm. five years later, six years later. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, no, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, sometimes I think we take, we take the the words of Jesus in, in the gospels for granted, right. That what, or when, when two or three are gathered um, right. that, that he's in our midst. And we think we try to limit that reality to things that are explicitly ecclesial or Mm -hmm. spiritual in nature. But when, when a group of friends, I mean, you know, I think CS Lewis said, there's nothing, there is no um, greater experience than, than a a group of friends sitting around a fire. Um, When a group of friends can do that or can, can sit at table to share a meal and remember that we are gathered there as disciples, as friends, not only with one another, but with Jesus, that he's there with us. And that he is, he is, he is put in, in our hearts this desire to lead each other closer to him. It doesn't mean that every conversation we have to have is about which part of the summa, you know, we found to be most interesting. Um, but but that in those conversations where we're where we're again allowing ourselves to remove the masks, allowing ourselves to release the tension, to enter into each other's lives like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. you know, where, where the, the, the final moment is the breaking of the bread that leads them to recognize him. If we can allow ourselves to do that in the meals that we share, um, I think we'd find that our lives would have more peace and, and more, um, more joy in them. If, if to your mm-hmm. point, right, we allowed ourselves to gather around table, to break bread and to recognize that Jesus is present there with us, even if we're not having some right. theological conversation right. or discussion. Right. You know, as we're talking about this, some things, you know, my, my mind goes a thousand miles an hour. So there are a couple of things that have crossed my mind. For example, um, how important it would be to teach our priests the basics on how to cook so that they're not going to McDonald's or they're not going, well, though I love McDonald's, you're not going to Chick-fil-A, <laughs> which I actually love you more, more than McDonald's. But I mean, it's because you can, you could do that every once in a while, but a lot of them really don't know how to care for themselves. And it's basic care, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the, the priest, Father Young, who confirmed me, who is still a, a really great friend of mine, um, was actually on, uh, I think season 
I'm going to mess season up. It was, I think it was season eight, but it might've been later of worst cooks in America on the food. Network. Oh, really? And so okay? if you, if you go back and find it, you know, there's Bobby Flay and, and Ann Burrell, and there's a guy, you know, in clerics in his collar in the kitchen. Um, Did he get yelled you know, at? Oh, all the time. He was terrible. I mean, <laughs> Uh, but you know, and it was funny. He would celebrate mass for for the group, um, and uh, Bobby Flay, who um, was raised Catholic, every once in a while, they're like, "Seriously, Father, like, are you really, you really doing this thing?" And and Father would be like, "Yeah, no, I, I am, I'm, I'm doing it. It's for real." Um, no, I, I, I agree. And two, you know, it, it would allow, um, it how how great would it be if 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 our priests could gather together and cook together? you know, and, and, you know, they, they can celebrate the, the mass together, confect the Eucharist together, but what about confecting a meal together? Oh, what a great idea. What a great, great insight. Oh, it'd be tremendous. It would be absolutely tremendous. Right. For some, they may poison each other from food poisoning, <laughs> but I mean, the, the thought is really there. No, actually, to be honest here in Bridgeport, a good number of, of the priests really are decent cooks. They are better than me many ways but but another thought crosses my mind and this may put you on the spot so you could take you know, the fifth amendment or whatever amendment you want and say i'm not answering that question but um would it be great to have kind of like a ministerial track of formation that's centered around food on cooking for all the reasons we just mentioned so you give young people practical skills but you introduce them into this into this moment when it's more than just physical nourishment as a way of preparing them for the lay apostolate. Have you ever thought of that or ever crossed your mind? No, I haven't, but you know, that might have to be something we add to the, uh, we add yeah. to our agenda at, at, at the school of theology. Um, no, you know, I mean, I, on the one hand, at the most basic level, I think every young person should know how to cook, um, to cook something. Um, especially when, when you look at the realities of food insecurity, um, of food waste that exists um, within the United States and certainly parts of, of, of Europe um, and all over the world, you know, to, to teach, that's one thing I, I never got to do when I was a student minister, but I really wanted to do was hold an event where I would just go to the pod, it was called at the time, which was like just the little convenience store we have on campus. And with $10, $15, buy a few things and, and go to the kitchen in the residence hall that I was ministering to and say, guys, at you know six o'clock, I'm gonna have these six things, and I'm gonna show you how to cook a, a, a fulfilling and filling meal with them. I never yeah. did it, but I should have, right? But you know, so yeah, at the base, I think we need to teach young people how to cook. But to to introduce food, right, which is a thing that, like I said, we all need, we all eat, we all eat together, as a, a, a moment of formation and. And it's sometimes catechesis to, 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 to prepare them to then utilize those physical skills in, in a life of mission and evangelization. Um, that sounds fantastic. I mean, that's actually something that I'm, I'm going to have to write that down. I'm going to have to talk about that with, with our Dean on, on Monday when I get into the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, it's, I had never thought of it until, until your, your insights now, but what resonates in my mind is when you were in culinary school and at the end, everyone cooked, but then you all shared the meal together. You all shared the food. You Wouldn't that be phenomenal for young people to do that? Even if it's not, you know, culinary kind of quality that would be in the, you know, in these tr tremendous restaurants, but that wouldn't really matter all that much. Building community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what if, what if, you know, once a month, youth groups, young adult groups, gathered and and cooked a meal together even something as simple but hearty and delicious as just you know spaghetti and red sauce you know yeah, and, right and, and and learn together um you know we did i did that um a couple of years ago i had uh, the our friends from rome a a, a a few of them came over to my house and i just kind of did a cooking class that night how to make how to make meatballs how to make sauce from scratch um and 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 we entered into that experience of learning and growth together. And then we shared the meal together. Mm -hmm. um, and, it'll, and, and so, you know, but what would it look like if, if we integrated food more into our ministries and not just the ministries where we give food out to others, 
who are most in need. Obviously, that's so important, but where we allow ourselves to be nourished, to gather around the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. In a sense, if I may just offer this last thought, we do a tremendous job in many parts of the church of preparing and giving food to those who are hungry. But we don't necessarily do a very good job of standing with the hungry in the very act of feeding. In other words, instead of having a person who may be facing food instability, just be the recipient, be the co-worker in the very production of what we're doing. Because there's a level of dignity and involvement and participation that is itself spiritual food for the person. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, we could have 10 shows on food. Anyway, I think we're up for a break. Oh gosh, yeah, we're all ready for a second lunch now. (laughs) But don't go yet, because Bishop Frank is speaking with Brian Rood from the Catholic University of America about the relationship between faith and food. And hang on, we will be right back with a listener question on Let Me Be Frank. Want to make a difference at work? Veritas Catholic Network is looking to hire a full-time development director If you're organized and you have sales or fundraising experience, if you love the faith and feel called to evangelization, if you're looking for something more meaningful, email info at veritascatholic.com. We're hiring, and you can help take Veritas to the next level as we grow and continue to reach more and more souls with the incredible saving words of Jesus Christ. Email us about the development director position. It's info at veritascatholic.com. That is info at veritascatholic.com if you're interested in joining the Veritas team. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we're here at the moment of the show where you answer a listener question. And um, so here it is. Bishop Frank, I listened with great interest to your show with Steve Bowman. I would like to start taking more control and leading my family in the faith. What are some practical first steps you recommend and how do I ease my teenage kids into it to get them on board? Oh, that is a tremendous question. And it's opportune to what we're talking about. Again, I think it's like, you know, I I read once if the Titanic wanted to avoid the iceberg, it had to make over a hundred different maneuvers, all small, but to have a huge effect. Same with this, it's the small things. So we were just talking about food and family. I think to make the conscious decision, have a few meals each week together would be an amazing first step and focus the conversation on each other, right? And on the the, the experiences of life begins to deepen the relationships because the Lord will be there. So that's one. And perhaps introducing prayer at those experiences Particularly if it's a great meal that your teenagers will pray because they want to eat, but then eventually they will pray because they want to pray. Right? So those would be, I think this is perfect timing for what we've talked about. Right? It's the little things. Yeah. And then like everything else, good company. You know, mom said to me, show me the company you keep and I will show you the person you will become. So they, she, I would suggest to our, 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 uh, the person who gave the question, that she spend time really getting to know the friends of her children, and perhaps introducing them to a broader spectrum of friends where they'll get the reinforcement that we want in faith. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. And if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there too. Uh, We would like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Today was a first for the show, Excellency. The Koreans outnumbered the Italians today. (laughs) wow that's true actually it's a new world my friend it's a new world (laughs) and uh and brian rude um uh bishop frank and i will be over to your house oh yeah this weekend i would add out 
Yeah, any, maybe any, every week. Anytime. <laughs> hey, ne- next time you have a committee meeting here in D.C., you just let me know. Oh, I, oh, I will let you know. It could be December. Okay, good. Excellent. Excellent. And, and thank you, Brian, for joining us. Thanks for all the very good work you do with the Catholic Apostle Center, uh, the School for Theology and Religious Studies, and the Light the World Summer Institute. Um, where can listeners find out more about all that stuff? Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Bishop Frank. Um, if you want to find out about the Catholic Apostolate Center, you can visit us at catholicapostolatecenter.org. We provide resources, not only for people involved in ministry, but people who are looking to take their lives of faith and, and live them as missionary disciples. Um, if you want to check out the School of Theology and Religious Studies or Light the World Summer Institute, you can visit trs.catholic.edu. That's great. Brian, you're doing a great work. You're in my prayers. Really, keep it up. I want to encourage you. God has chosen you to do great things. So keep up the great work. Thank you, Bishop Frank. Excellency, before we go, um, how about a blessing? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, continue to send your Holy Spirit upon us that you may enlighten, strengthen, encourage, and give us joyful hearts to be your missionary disciples in the world. Bless our listeners, their families, those whom they love. Keep us always protected and cared for. And so we ask that you bless us in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. God bless. Steve, I'll see you next week, my friend. Amen.